So good to see all of you. Please turn in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. How many of you remember those choose your own adventure books? Mm-hmm. Remember those where you would read and then you get to the end of uh, like three or four pages and you'd have to make a decision on what happens. And then if you decide one thing, you go to this page. If you decide the other thing, you go to this other page. And so you kind of get to read through and, and create your own story. And so, kind of if this is the case then, and there's a cause and effect. So if you make this decision, it goes this direction. And that's what we're going to be talking about this, this morning, about cause and effect. Because of this then these things have to be true. And so we're going to pick up in uh, verse 19, and we're going to read down to verse 25. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and I pray that you'll speak to us this morning. Father, I pray that as we understand what you've done, we'll understand what we do from here. And so I I know that, Father, that you love us beyond our comprehension. I know that you have plans for us, that you've invited us into this journey with the work that you're doing and accomplishing here on earth. And I pray and ask that our eyes will be open, that we may behold you and understand your word and see what you're doing around us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Well, this morning, as we dive into this and discuss cause and effect, we'll see how Jesus' death changed us and the effect that that should have on us. And so we begin with the cause. So what is the cause? Last week, we talked about it is finished. That was our title. That was taken from... A phrase that Jesus used when he was on the cross, when he said, it is finished. He had completed all the work that God had called him to do that was required for redemption, for our salvation. As we talked about Jesus' sacrifice of himself and the fact that there were no more needs of sacrifice. His sacrifice of himself changed things for us. Because of that, now we have confidence to enter the holy place. Because back in the law, the time of the law, only the high priest could go into the holy place in the holy of holies. And he had to have offering and sacrifice for his own sins and cleansing for his own sins before he could go in. And hopefully it was enough and it was sufficient that he wouldn't die in the very presence of God. And so Jesus' blood, Jesus' shed blood, gave us access. See, the high priest had to be pure. And he makes us pure, but he is also our high priest at the same time. And he himself is pure. And so we received the same purification. Well, we received a better purification than the high priest did. And now we can enter into that place, the holy place. 
But we enter not by the blood of bulls and goats, but by a new and living way. You see, Jesus did not stay dead like the blood of bulls and goats, or like bulls and goats did. He didn't stay dead. He's a new way, but he's a living way. He shed his own blood for us, which didn't cover our sins and removed us. That's new. And he didn't stay dead. He's alive. And so we enter by those things. We're able to walk into the very presence of God. And you know, he uses the phrase here, which he inaugurated for us through the veil or his flesh. It's an interesting word that he used. Inaugurating. When we think about an inauguration, what do we usually think about? The president. The president, right? When we have an inauguration for a new president, what are we doing? We're installing him, right? We're installing him as our president. He's being inaugurated into that role. He's to where he can lead, where he takes on those responsibilities, and he represents us. We were inaugurated... To be able to enter into the presence of God through the blood of Christ. We were installed. The, the installation of access was given to us through the shed blood and life of Jesus Christ. That was installed upon us. We, re, we received, for all of my software folks out there, we received a software upgrade. Mm -hmm. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, who is Jesus himself, who leads us into the very presence of God, because we have access. You know what? I think that that is one of the most untreasured things that come with the Christian life. We pray and we talk about it, but we don't really realize the fact that the one that we read about in Genesis who spoke this into existence said, let there be light, is the one we can actually go and have a conversation with. We have kind of a small God. A God that, you know, we kind of hope that he comes through or we hope he helps us or that we hope he makes us feel better about something. And we kind of go in with these low expectations so God does not fail us and we can still maintain our faith. I would, <laughs> I would challenge that theory that that's not faith at all. I think the idea of walking in and recognizing who somebody is is part of exhibiting our faith. And part of us appreciating what Jesus did on the cross you know, if most of your prayer life involves food, thank you for this food, and that's all he hears from you, then we're missing out on this opportunity that he's created for us. But because he's granted us this access, because he's made the impossible possible for us, because he wants us to walk into that relationship with him. Because he wants to engage you and me directly. And he wants us to engage him directly. Should have an effect on us. And he lists three of them here in these scriptures. Effect number one. That we draw near with a sincere heart. Well, there's two parts to that. Number one is drawing near. If I'm going to draw near to something, don't I have to have movement toward it? Yes. And if that object, if I'm over here, moves toward me 
Am I drawing near toward it or is it drawing near toward me? It's drawing near toward me. So that's not what we're commanded to do. We're not commanded to let him draw near to us. We're commanded to draw near to him. So there is movement on our part required in these verses. But there's another part to this. There's people who draw near to God to use him for an advantage today. They do. They want want to use God to their best advantage. To take advantage of other people. We see it all the time on TV. We may even know somebody in our own life that does that. That talk about God, but you don't see really any fruit. But it's so that they can gain access into your life. And I think we need to be careful with a sincere. God wants us to draw near to him because we want to be with him. That's what a sincere heart is. In other words, what we're showing him is what we want. And when he's saying to draw near, and if I'm drawing near, what I'm showing him is I want to be near to him. And that's actually what I want. Not just what I can get from him. And you know, we try to fool people with that our whole life. We call it buttering up, don't we? There's other terms for it. One of them has a color and a nose in it, revolving around that. But it's not genuine and pure. It's not for the right motives. And so he says to draw near with a sincere heart. To know him. Not to see what you can get from him. But he doesn't leave it there. He he tells us to do this in full assurance of faith. See, we cannot approach God or seek after him. Or draw close to him. If we have apprehensions or doubts about him. And full assurance of faith means that I'm confident in the walk that I'm taking. I'm confident in these steps. Because faith requires movement. It requires motion. It requires an act based upon what you believe. And if we come to him in full assurance of faith, our confidence is in the Lord. Now, sometimes in our journey, we feel like the Lord has let us down. Some people feel that way. Well, because he didn't come through on so-and-so. And I prayed this and nothing happened. Or I prayed and so-and-so died anyway. Let me tell you this. 500 years ago, people were praying for people to not die. All those people are dead now. Is that not true? Is that not a true statement? It is a true statement. Life is a fatal disease. Unless Jesus returns before this flesh expires. If you're alive, you're appointed to death. That's the fact. God doesn't fail. He tells us it's appointed a man wants to die. That's not a mystery. That's not anything new. Yet we try to avoid it. But then we begin to doubt because God didn't do things the way we think he should. Or we got hurt in the church. You ever been hurt in the church? Three of us. Four. Four, excuse me, four of us. Yeah. I've been there. I've been hurt in church. But you know what? My love is for Jesus. And our eyes need to be upon Him. You know, I love what Billy Graham said. He said, a lot of people will quit the church when that happens. He said, when you find out that your milkman is putting water in your milk, you don't stop drinking milk, you just go find a new milkman. (laughs) If that's not where you're supposed to be, then go find the place where you're supposed to be. And so 
We don't walk in this full assurance of faith. We walk with apprehension. Some of the times, it's because we see ourselves in a way that he doesn't see us. Sometimes it's because he sees, we see ourselves as sinful and terrible and bad. Well, you don't know me like I know me. You don't know what I'm really like. You weren't there when I said that the other day. I'm sure none of you say the wrong things. Even when you're mad at your spouse. Well, you don't know me and he sees all of that and that makes me apprehensive. And we forget that he has already seen that and he loves us no matter what. He's already seen your failures. He's already seen that terrible thought you had. He's already seen that thing that ran across your mind that you didn't share with anybody. He's already seen it. And he wants us to draw near. Isn't that cool? He said, I don't care where you think you are, I want you near me. And that's why he gave us access. And so we draw near in full assurance of faith, having our heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. This was life changing, and I want, don't miss this. Because I have to go back and probably fix some things. <laughs> when I saw this, I was shocked a little bit. The conscience, when we think about our conscience, we think about it as part of our mind, right? Because it's usually a conversation or it's, it's something where I start to feel bad and I have thoughts associated with it, right? That's not what the verse says. That's not what God's word says. Ooh, Ooh. Our conscience is a part of our heart. You see that? Mm -hmm. So, it's not part of the mind, it's a part of the heart. And the heart was clean from an evil conscience by salvation. So that's gone. So the stuff that's playing in your head is no longer you. It's the enemy trying to attack and destroy. And come in and say, hey Mark, you're not enough. Or Jesus doesn't really love you. Or you better not go over there because he's going to see this thing you're doing. The conscience is a part of the heart. Not a part of the mind. Isn't that interesting? I've never seen that before. <laughs> and so, the eyes of the Lord move to throw throughout the earth, seeking those whose hearts are completely His. And so, if we allow our conscience, or what our old conscience was, the old tapes to play, we're giving that opportunity to the enemy. Now the Holy Spirit speaks new and fresh to us. Conviction of sin is different than conscience. And our body, he goes on, he says, and our body was washed with pure water. You see, we were completely clean. Because there could be a well, but this here is unredeemed. But no, we've been washed. We can come to Him. We, there is nothing, there is nothing to keep us from drawing near with a sincere heart. There's nothing. He addresses every part of it here because the conscience will tell you stuff. You say, well, what about this? And you know, I've got all these problems and how can I draw near? He addressed every bit of it. Draw near. So, because of what Jesus did, that's the cause, and the effect is that we can draw near with a sincere heart. Effect number two. He tells us to hold fast, hold fast to the confession of our hope. 
What is the confession of our hope? What are we supposed to hold fast to? The confession of our hope is faith in Jesus Christ. Because if Jesus is our hope and we confess in Christ, we hold fast to that. We don't waver. We'll get into that in a minute. But we hold fast. We cling on. It requires effort to hold fast. You know, I think of holding, I think of, uh, anybody here ever participated in a tug of war? Right? What's the number one rule? Don't let go. Because if you let go, they gain an advantage. So everybody's pulling and you hold fast and you can bear, I mean, the rope is like, it's like at its max. And we're to hold fast. It's so often though, when life happens, that we start to wonder, or we let doubts creep in, or the enemy tries to bring doubts in. So you're like, just not sure. I'm just not feeling it, Jesus. I'm just not feeling it. Listen. Holding fast does not require feeling it. Sometimes we don't feel it. Nobody, you don't have to raise your hand. Anybody ever been in a fight in the car on the way to church and then <laughs> you get out of the car and everybody's all smiles? You ever do that? That's why Terry and I drive separate. No. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> But it happens, doesn't it? Hello, brother. How you doing? Yeah, I'm fine. And you? We're good. Right? And then we go, man, I'm putting on a show. I don't know about this. And we start to look at the events instead of Christ. And the events of this world will cause us to loosen our grip. But when you look at what Jesus did, you'll never loosen your grip. Because our eyes are fixed upon him, the author and finisher of our faith. When I think of he's never, ever, ever, ever failed me. Now he's failed some do, to do some things I wanted him to do. But the real failure there is Mark was wanting him to do something that he, it wasn't part of his plan. That's the failure. Not the fact that he didn't do it. And so we hold fast. Without wavering. The decision to waver means that we lose our confidence in him. See. For he. We're told for he who promised. Is faithful. Do y'all believe Jesus is faithful? Be careful. Be careful. We would all say yes, we do. Then why do we have one single iota of doubt at times? If we really believe he's faithful. That's not fair, Jesus. How come they have this and we have this? They seem to have it easy and we struggle. I'm gonna, let me tell you something about life. Appearances can be deceiving. Amen? Amen. People, I've seen people who look like they all got it together. And we don't know what happens behind those doors, folks. I will tell you, some of the things that if people were to really be transparent and put it before you would shock the pants off of us. And the fact is, that's every door out there. We compare, what we do is we compare ourselves to an illusion and then we feel bad about ourselves because we don't measure up to the illusion. Jesus 
has been, is now, and will always be faithful. Amen. He will never, ever leave you or forsake you. He will never, ever fail you in what his plan is for you. And if he's not doing what you think he should be doing, let that be an indication that you're not on the same page. And get on the right page. Hold fast. (laughs) Don't let doubts creep in. We don't need no creeps in our faith. Hold fast to your confession of Christ. Three, the effect number three. Consider how to stimulate one another. Here we're told to stimulate or encourage one another. <laughs> to a couple things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull a third out of scripture here that I think is important. We're encouraged we're to encourage one another to love. He leaves it there. I think I'm gonna, I think part of my job is to encourage you to love God, right? My encouragement is for you to, to use for you to love one another. Paul said, I have no greater joy than hearing that my people love one another. We're supposed to love one another. Now does love mean like? <laughs> you, ever been, you, ever, you ever met people? Have you ever had people in your life that you knew? Well, we all have family, right? We love them, but we don't always like them. They don't have to be immediate family. It could be extended family. Yep, sorry to bring that up this morning, some of you. But we love them. You know, I was struggling with this issue in a situation once and I was talking to a brother and I said, I really don't like them. And you know what my brother told me? He said, you're not commanded to like them. You're commanded to love them. I said, well, that's easier. (laughs) It is though, right? Because... Love doesn't necessarily require fondness. Love requires a commitment. And we're required to love one another. He says love. It should be an expression of our lives. That's why we show up on Sundays. Not to get a re-up. Not to check a box of what we did for God. We went to church for God. So now I'm a good Christian. You know what? Going to church don't make you a good Christian. You know, one of the most mysterious passages in the Bible is when Jesus was walking by and they called him good. He said, no. Why do you call me good? There's no, not one. See, good ties to behavior. And even though Jesus lived perfectly, he rejected that because he would have used the measure of behavior to make himself acceptable. Righteousness is what matters. So we're here to encourage each other in the love. We're here to encourage each other in the good deeds. See, and this is not try harder. Do better things. Stop doing that. Don't sin anymore. Heard those before too, right? I sat through a lot of those sermons. The good deeds are the deeds which flow out of the life of Christ in and through us. That's the works which God prepared for us from the foundation of the world. That he could express himself because we're supposed to show him to the world, right? Yes. Not what being a good person is about, because we know him. Because if we're going to show them, if it is about that, then what we have to show them is all of it. Yes. 
and it will fall short. Otherwise, it's just self-righteousness. So we're here to encourage, to stimulate. You know, I used to think, of, when I think of stimulation, I remember when I had my back surgery years ago, they gave me a bone stimulator. And it ran electricity through and caused the bone to grow faster. It stimulated growth. It advanced what it was there for. We're here to advance one another in our walk with the Lord. Think about it like that. I'm here to help advance you. Let's move you forward in class. I'm here to equip you and to teach and challenge you and comfort you. And the challenge is not how bad you are. The challenge is don't choose the casual path or the casual journey when God's called you to something else. Now, there are moments that he tells us to be still and know that he's God. But I'm telling you, sometimes that's more challenging than doing. Right? Good deeds. Then he says... To not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. I'm going to translate that into modern day. Don't blow off church. Don't blow it off. Don't forsake the assembling together. Don't blow it off. Well, there's this really cool thing coming to town. and Yeah, everybody's going Friday and Saturday, but they're going to be good on Sunday morning, so I'm going to go there. Right here in Scripture, it tells us not to do that. Well, here's another one. And this is, I'm going to get in trouble here, but I'm going to do it anyway. That's never stopped me before. Well, I got to work on this Sunday. I hear that all the time. Listen. There's enough lost people they can work on Sunday. We're commanded not to do that. Or go to work when you get home if that's what you want to do. But you don't blow off church. Don't forsake it. Forsake is to turn your back on something. See, what you're sacrificing by not being here... Is the encouragement to love and good deeds. So we're not just blowing off attendance. We're blowing off the love and encouragement we would receive. Unto the things that God's called us for. That's what you're blowing off. So it's important that we don't do that. See we're responsible to encourage each other. Toward Christ in our calling. We're responsible. I'm responsible to you. You're responsible to me. You're responsible to each other. Because of what Christ did for us. That's the cause. This is the effect. If he hadn't done that, we wouldn't even be here. Exactly. Even Stephen knows. He's not even a year old yet. Stephen Jr. <laughs> and so there's a cause and effect to our relationship with Christ. So how do we unpack this? Let me give you some things. Genuine salvation will change you. It will change you. You cannot be a new creation, the temple of God, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and show no effect of that. Yep. Hello? Right? If you're showing no effect of that, maybe you're lost. Or if you're trying to effort it up, if you're trying to make that happen, maybe you're lost. 
I know that ain't a popular comment, but I'd rather you find out now than find out later. And that's because I love you. If I'm lost, I want to know now <laughs> so I can still do something about it. Tell Meredith he's okay just emulating his pastor. <laughs> I want to know now. That's love. You know, I have to wonder one day where it says that he'll wipe away every tear. If there'll be people there saying, why didn't you tell me? I hope that's not the case. But I wonder that. Genuine salvation will change you. Two, we need to pursue God. We hear that all the time. How... What are the tangible tasks, the things that allow us to do that? Number one, it's heart. I'm going to give you I'm going to try to turn this practical. We try to do that a little bit in explaining, but I'm going to give you some practical things. I hope that I'm not unpacking a list for you. That's not my goal. I'm hoping to strike something that connects with your heart. Pursuing God. We hear that and we don't we we don't know how to do it. We don't know how to do it. I'm going to just throw some things at this. And if the Holy Spirit connects with you in that, then I would say listen to him. Journal. Some people do a prayer journal. Some people write down thoughts and questions they have that come up in Scripture or just ponderings about God. Write them down. That's one way you can pursue. Ask questions. Ask the text questions. That is a Bible study method. Ask questions. I do this all the time. You will notice if I'm in a conversation with somebody, or I will leave questions unanswered, this would be a good study point. This is a good topic. We need to find that out because it affects it this way or this way. If it's the other way, we need to research. We have to do the work. Ask questions. If that's true, then why? Who do we see there? What do we know uh, about them? What do we know about the climate? What do we know? There is materials and study materials to help you answer those questions. Does Paul's upbringing affect his walk, his choice to walk contrary to Christ? And how does it affect his walk after he meets Christ? Wouldn't that be a great question? Wouldn't that be a good study? Somebody I know has broken God's Word down into, into thousand-year segments and is studying it that way. Very interesting to see how God works over time. Hmm. Ask questions. We need to pursue God. Ask Journal, ask questions. Study, that's what we're talking about. Read. Well, how do I pursue God, but I'm not reading my Bible? God, I want to pursue you, but I'm not listening to what you have to say. Pray. Well, I don't have anything to pray about. You need to be on your knees thanking God that you don't have anything to pray about. <laughs> You want something to pray about? Pray about that. If you want troubles to pray about, call me. I'll give you plenty. You don't have your own. Pray. Just talk to him. Like you call a friend on the phone. You know what? Call him and say, hey, Lord, I, you know, I really don't have anything to talk to you about right now, but I'm, I want to, if you want to talk, I'm here to listen. I'm just going to spend time. You don't even have to talk. I'm just here, whether you talk or not. That's cool, right? Yeah. You know, somebody said good friends don't have to have a conversation. They can ride in a car silently, and it's okay. Right? And can't we do that to spend time? Sila. You still don't know that I'm God. And so we need to pursue God. Three, we need to not waver in our commitment. See, the key to not wavering is knowing who Christ is. 
The only reason we waver is we forget who he is. Or we think he's somebody other than what God's word says. Well, how come he does things like that? Or how come he's this way? And how come he's not solving my problem? If you are identifying God by how he's fixing your problem, who is God in that conversation? You are. And it's a wonder he's sitting silent. Because we are not, because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Say, God, I don't care if you ever fix my problem. I'll serve you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. And if you choose to do something, fine. If you choose not to, that's fine too. Like Daniel. If he rescues us, he doesn't. If he doesn't, if he does, great. If he doesn't, we'll be with him today. Don't waver, ladies and gentlemen. When you realize who he is, you will not waver in your commitment. We have a misunderstanding a fundamental misunderstanding, I think, in all of our theology of who Jesus really is. Because movies and TV picture him to be this, this long-locked, thin man that was a pretty boy that Hollywood couldn't do. The Bible said he wasn't good looking at all. I told Tara, I said, that's how I know I've made his image. And she's well, Terry said, That's how I know you're not. <laughs> he wasn't good looking, he was probably a rugged man. Let's do the work, okay? He was a carpenter, right? Carpenter didn't have DeWalt and Porter cable, they had hand tools. So his hands were probably pretty rough and tough to not get splinters. Now we just buy gloves. And if you're carrying lumber, he didn't need 24-hour fitness. (laughs) He's carrying lumber and wood around. When you work physically for a living, you don't want to join a gym. Because you're hauling four by eight sheets of plywood. Now, he didn't have plywood back then. They made it. And so, does understanding that give you a difference when Jesus is hanging on the cross? He had rugged hands. Large by, because so he could pull up for a while. He's used to lifting a lot of weight. You know, there's times in your life when, when you're kind of more fit and you can do more and you feel like you can do more. And then uh, there's times in your life when you're not. <laughs> but he was a rugged man. But he never sinned. And he came at his own volition. And he knew that they were going to mistreat him. And even when they mistreated him and lied about him and did things to him physically... He never caved. Because if he had, the cross would have been ineffective. Jesus was faithful through all of that. Because he loved us so much, he wanted that to be right. Why does it make him unfaithful if he doesn't do what you want? He is faithful. So do not waver in your commitment. Study and find out who Jesus is. Last four, encourage one another. Ladies and gentlemen, you are not meant to be an island, but you're also not meant to be a busybody. Amen and amen. I will tell you, the biggest gossip session you can have is the prayer meeting. 
Well, let me tell you about so-and-so and the problems they're having. And this, We need to pray for them. And, and so I'm just going to share this about little Johnny. And this is what, what they were doing. Let me tell you, if your heart is more to tell people what you know, your heart's in the wrong place. If your heart is broken because what's going on with little Johnny, details are not always required. Right? Pray for Mark. He's going through a rough time. We are called to be here for one another. You need one another. Well, I don't need nobody. See, that's what the world teaches you. Your mind has been changed into that. I don't need anybody. That makes me weak. See, the world teaches you that that's weakness. What it really is, <laughs> or the world teaches you that strength, what it really is, is weakness. Because if everybody in this room went outside to pick up a log, we might be able to do it. But if I go and try and do it by myself, there ain't no chance. <laughs> right? Right. Why would I give up my strength? Why would you give up your strength? We need each other. Many of you, I will talk to, all of you know something that I don't know. And I talk to you guys on a regular basis. And when I face in an area that I know is your area of expertise, I'll call you. And talk with you and listen and try to, to learn and glean from you. That's just life travels, right? But it also happens in our journey with Christ. Now, everybody expects the pastor to know more, right? Isn't that an expectation? I did when I sat there. But I can learn from you all the time. God may have shown you a verse and he wants to use you in my life to teach me that verse. That's fine. That's exciting to me. I get to learn something. It's not about me knowing everything. It's about knowing the one who does has all knowledge. And letting him sow into our lives without any restraints, without any expectations. Now, should I go to school? And absolutely. If you're called to ministry, is a call to prepare. And there ought to be things I've exposed to. My, my, I'm, going to uh, I'm just going to confess this morning. My biggest thing is I feel like you guys probably already know everything I know. <laughs> and that could be the enemy working on me. Because there's things that I don't bring that I just assume are known. And I'm learning they're not known. Just because there hasn't been exposure to them yet. Like the history of Israel. And the 12 tribes. And the, and the 12 tribes being named after the sons. And that's, how they, that's where they came from. Which is interesting because we see the number 12 again when we see the apostles. The question is, is there really 12 or 14 apostles? Because we added Mattathias when Judas fell out. And we also have Paul. But then did Judas really fall out? Did Judas repent? Was it a worldly repentance or was it a godly repentance? Was he renewed? I had somebody challenge, I always used to believe that Judas lost his salvation. He was the only one because Jesus said, not all the Father give me, I'm not lost, save one, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. The question is, did he lose him eternally or did he lose him temporarily? It's a good question, right? I don't have a good answer for you right now. These are my list of questions. I have questions. If you want definitive answers, call Stephen. <laughs> He's ready. We'll be printing his number in the <laughs> But I think they're good questions. I haven't considered that until somebody brought that to me. And now I've got to look at that. So then who are the twelve apostles in heaven? Is it Mattathias? Let's just take Judas out. Is it Mattathias or, or Paul? Well, are the 12 seats, do they include the Gentiles or not? Then maybe it's Mattathias if they don't. See all those questions, you've got to work your way through it. 
But we're here to spur one another. Doesn't this seem interesting a little bit? Mm-hmm. To be able to consider these things and start to take scripture and apply and ask questions toward it. And that's what we're to do. We're to provoke one another. Maybe stimulates a better word. We stimulate each other into love, good works, attendance. We need each other, ladies and gentlemen. I need you in my life. And hopefully I can bring something to your life as well. You know, there's some people, it doesn't matter what you do, they're just never happy. They're never happy. There's this one grandmother. She, uh, Went to the beach with her grandson. And her grandson's out playing in the waves. This is a good church going woman. And this huge wave comes and sweeps her grandson into the ocean. I mean, imagine a grandparent. Because grandparents love the grandchildren, right? Amen, grandparents? They love them more than the kids. Yes. Right? So... Because when they're bad, they just send them home to mom and dad. They get to just love on them. And, yeah, they're so sweet. Grandkids are perfect, aren't they, grandparents? And so this wave sweeps this little boy in the ocean. And this woman is frantic. She starts praying, saying, God, I've done this, and I've done this, and I've been good, and I go to church, and I do that, and I tithe, and I'm, I'm devoted and all of a sudden, a huge wave comes and deposits the boy back there, and he's playing like nothing ever happened. And God says to her, says, there you go, I brought him back. And she pauses. And she says, he had a hat. Some people are never satisfied. And I think that keeps us from the pursuit that we need to have with Christ. We're never satisfied with God because He doesn't do it exactly like we want. And we've got to be careful that we don't miscategorize God based on what our expectations are. And so be satisfied. He's not going to fill you. Your salvation should change the devotion of your life. It will if you're genuinely saved. You can't avoid it. And why would you want to? And so this morning, my challenge to you is this. What is keeping you from this journey? He did it for you. He did it for you. We move from all of the sacrificial system into this. The point he's making to them is, you missed Christ, let's not miss him too. I'm asking everybody to bow their head and close their eyes.